to know we're in God's family, we enjoy fellowship together, that God is in the midst, and that's uh, absolutely wonderful. Um, if you were here last week, you'll agree with me, we had a feast with John Hosier. I had two sessions, one in the morning, one in the evening, and uh, although one might consider it um, fairly deep teaching, it was very accessible, I th and I think most people enjoyed, enjoyed it, and I think the fact that people turned out in good numbers in the evening would suggest that uh, they were connecting with John, and uh, it was a really good time, wasn't it? Excellent, excellent. Um, <coughs> John showed us from the scriptures that uh, our destiny, our destiny is to be the bride of Christ, with Christ being the bridegroom, and that it's not just a future thing, but we are betrothed to Christ now. And I think that's a really important point, and that's come out uh, in the past when Steve uh, helped us to understand some of the words that Jesus said at the Last Supper, that he wouldn't drink of the fruit of the vine again until he drank it new with his disciples in the kingdom of God. That was a betrothal cup that was to w which they would have shared then, but in a normal Jewish marriage, then that would be shared again at the, the final marriage ceremony. So we are betrothed and we're invited. We're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And not everyone is invited. Right? The whole world is not invited as such. It is those who know Jesus as Lord and Saviour, right, who have humbled themselves before God and acknowledged that we cannot save ourselves but Jesus is the one that qualifies us and John referred to it as a great romance remember I thought it was really helpful and that romance in a sense started way back in in eternity past but came more in focus when Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost and we were the lost, and Jesus sought us and saved us. And we know where history is going. There aren't many people in the world who know where history is going. And I do want to emphasize that it isn't just um, the Christians who know where their history is going. Like we're in a corner, and we've got a, a, the information about where we're going. Uh, what John was sharing last week, and that we'll look again in a moment, uh, was the fact that the whole of history is focused on this one event, the marriage supper of the Lamb. There will be those who are invited and those who are excluded uh, because they rejected the Messiah. Okay, so I, I think it's absolutely exciting that we of all people know where history is going. There's a lot of things to happen in between. Wars, rumours of wars, earthquakes you know, devastation, all sorts of things to happen. But we know where history is going. So let's turn again to Revelation 19. Um, we're going to look at this because, not that I just want to repeat everything John said, but I want to use this as a, a springboard for what I want to say this morning. Revelation 19 and verse 6. 
Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. So blessed are those who are invited. And that's us. We are blessed. We're blessed now with the anticipation of it, but we will be incredibly blessed when that event comes. And it's Jesus that has qualified us. right? And um, John referred to Ephesians chapter 5, and you might like to look at that. Ephesians 5 and 25. This passage it has a kind of a dual message to it. It's about the way that husbands should treat their wives, but it's also uh, how Christ relates to his church. And husbands are to take note of how, how Christ um, uh, treats his church, uh, that they should treat their wives. And wives also should submit to their husbands. That's the message. But anyway, husbands... Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, that is, make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish." Just get the import of that, what Jesus has done in order that we, the church, will become that bride that is without spot and wrinkle. Right? He's done that because he loves us. That he wants to have a bride like that. So it is Jesus who qualifies us. We cannot qualify ourselves other than receive the gift of eternal life and forgiveness, just holding our hands out in in receipt of those things. Just a point, really, the purpose of Revelation. I think most uh, scholars would say that Revelation was written to encourage people who were going through extreme persecution. And, of course, there are many today that are going through extreme persecution, either because of communist governments or because of Islamic regimes or whatever, and it's getting worse. So this message uh, should be an encouragement. Uh, John um, referred to the fact that chapter 18, we see the downfall of that great city, Babylon, Babylon the Great. And Babylon stands for world systems, corrupt world systems that would have been responsible for persecuting Christians. And um, what this tells us is that it's coming to an end. So, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. So that must be an encouragement to those who are experiencing persecution, that that, that source of persecution ultimately will not win. They must have thought, as 
maybe Christians in North Korea at the moment think that the, the, the world system, Babylon, if you like, has got the upper hand. But this is quite clear. And that's why um, this exhortation and uh, glorious statement begins, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns, in spite of what may be seen. But I'm pleased to say that most of us are not experiencing persecution, or if it is, it's very minor compared with brothers and sisters around the world. So how will this help us? Well, we still go through hardships. Right? We all know that life is tough sometimes, isn't it? We lose loved ones, we become ill, we're in circumstances we would not choose for ourselves and we struggle. So this ought to, ought to be uh, an encouragement to us that the best is yet to be. The best is yet to be as far as what God has planned for us. Now we are his beloved, his joy. It's hard to believe that sometimes, isn't it? That we are Christ's beloved. We are his joy. And we're an essential part of Jesus' future. There is no future for Jesus, in a sense, without his church, because that's how it's been planned. And you may remember in um, Hebrews chapter 12, talking of Jesus, it says, Who, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised its shame. What was the joy that was set before him? It was that he was redeeming people who would become his bride. Right? We are his joy. Okay? That joy, that, that he was looking forward to the great marriage supper of the Lamb. And Jesus went to the cross to, to secure our future with him. And we might quite reasonably um, often say, well, Jesus went to the cross to keep me out of hell. And, and that is true. Our sins are forgiven. There's no condemnation. But also, Jesus went to the cross that we might be part of the bride. We might be his eternal companion. So what should be our response to all this? Well, in the passage from Revelation, we read, For the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. John reminded us that making ourselves ready doesn't mean making ourselves acceptable. We're already acceptable because of the cleansing and the washing that has happened through Jesus himself. He will present us to himself, spotless. But there is a, a, a getting ready so that the bride can be as best as she can be. And that is true of an earthly bride, isn't it? The bride going to her wedding day knows that she is accepted, but she's gone to great lengths to make herself the best that she can be. So what does this mean as far as the church is concerned? Well, uh, here are just some general points. It, to be the church on earth and to continue the ministry of Jesus. That's what the church was established for, to continue his ministry and to take that gospel throughout the world. Right? So that is part of our the preparation. The preparation is taking the gospel to people who've never heard so they can be part of the bride. Isn't that wonderful that we want those people to become part of the bride? And for us to live together in love and purity. Right? We have to demonstrate something of the purity that God has made us to be. Now, we will fail. You know, we're sinful. We still, we still fail. 
for our aim should live to get, be to live together in love and purity so that we show forth what God has already made us to be. And learning to love as Jesus loved can be costly. All right? It doesn't happen that automatically. And if you've been in the church for a long time, as, as I have, you know you have to learn to love. There will be situations that crop up and you think, crumbs, I'm supposed to love these people, you know. <laughs> but it's the learning process. We are learning to love as Jesus loved and to prepare ourselves for his coming and to have practical compassion for the lost and hurting in our community. And we heard about street pastors this morning. What a, a wonderful way that the church can show the love of God in the community. And living contrast to the world in terms of moral values and choices. Right? It's not just moral values, but it's already choices and, um, and, priori and, and priorities. Uh, and we will be challenged about these things. We'll be, we will be challenged about our priorities because the kingdom of God all right, is not the priority of the world and we'll find the contrast. Okay. And Jesus said, you know, don't worry about all the things that you're after, food, clothing and the rest of it. Seek first the kingdom of God and God will add these things to you. It's not easy seeking first the kingdom of God in a Western society that bombards us with and tells us everything that we need, is it? It's not easy. And um, it's, we're supposed to be a city set on a hill. Remember Jesus said that, you know, let your light shine before men. You're to be a city set on a hill so that men may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I think he's talking about corporately as well as individually here. And as we engage with our community, as we show the love of God, then I trust that in some measure we will be a city set on a hill. And we're to be a community where it, it clearly Jesus is loved, honoured and obeyed. Right? We, can, we can express words of love in our songs, but somewhere in our hearts we don't want to obey. But Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So learning to do that is part of our preparation. And for a bride to make herself ready can be costly uh, and involve denying herself. I don't know if any of you ladies who became brides, whether in the run-up to your wedding, there were things you, you denied yourself so that you could be the best that you could be. That the dress you'd put, your, your wedding dress you put your heart on, it's going to mean some sacrifice for you to buy it. Okay. So there can be a sacrifice, some denying ourselves. And being the church that is making herself ready can be costly. We talked about persecution. There are many who know if they profess Christ, they are going to be persecuted. And yet, in some of those countries, the church is growing quicker than in this country. People know what they have to face and they're prepared to do it. Um, financially investing in the local church and world mission. Um, I think some of the people that, that we know who are not Christians would be very surprised how much Christians give, either to the church or to world mission. It, it, it would be well beyond the, their expectations, I'm sure. It might be providing 
suitable buildings, either a place of worship or a multi-purpose um, uh, uh, um, building that can be used for community and outreach in the church. And um, I've known um, churches that now have absolutely magnificent buildings that are used every day in the, of the week by the community, by the church. And the church at that time, many of the, well, I say some of the people, remortgaged their homes in order to contribute to the building of this centre. Now, I do find it's easier for people to put money in, in bricks and mortar than it is other things. But nevertheless, that was quite a sacrifice. And of course, investing in ministry, that is people, we recognise that there is much to do and unless we can release people in ministry so that they can give their time to it, then some of those things will not be done and we will not be the church that we want to be and perhaps not the church that God uh, wants us to be. Um, just thinking about the changes that have come about in the church in my lifetime and the older ones of you, if you can think back 50 years, you probably have to admit the church has changed an awful lot. Um, you know, I'm, some of you were in movements that were very restrictive Okay, but, um, but the, the church has changed. And I can look back to um, maybe about 50 years ago now when people were discovering the Holy Spirit again in the church yeah, and, and they were discovering the baptism in the Spirit. And it was an, an amazing time. People were just coming alive from all sorts of denominations and backgrounds. They were not welcome in many of their settings because... They, they might lift, I mean, this is not an indication of being charismatic, but they might raise their hands in worship and they were told, you don't do that here. You know, we're not one of those people, you don't do it here. Okay. So there was personal renewal and then came what was known as restoration. That is, restoring the church to New Testament principles. And if you like, we are the product of the restoration movement. It started off with people coming out of existing churches, forming other churches that were known as house churches. You seldom hear that term now, and I'm quite pleased, really, because most of them don't just meet in, in houses. Um, but the problem that people observed in those days was that over the centuries, that the church had neglected some of the basic foundational principles that we find in the New Testament for the church, and alongside that, they've added traditions that became as important as scripture. So if you presented them with a scripture that says, this is what we should do, they might say, well, I'm a Baptist, I'm a this, I'm a that. We, we don't do it like that. So they, they were the obstacles. And we are part of the, the restoration movement, the desire that we should be built on New Testament principles. So when a church, uh, when a church is planted... Uh, it's not planted with a particular tradition in mind. It's planted with New Testament principles in mind. It's not that God doesn't like variety. God loves variety. But that variety will be cultural on top of foundational principles that we find in the New Testament. And that's, th that's been, um, as it were, our desire and our aim, that, that all that we do as much as the New Testament tells us, and there are things that the New Testament doesn't tell us, and we have to work those out for ourselves, but we want to be built on New Testament principles. 
Um, this may well include church government, the role of elders, welcoming the Holy Spirit, the use of spiritual gifts, and perhaps most of all, embracing what we have come to know as Ephesians 4 ministries. Now, the Bible doesn't call them Ephesians 4 ministries, but we find it in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4. And what we read there is that the ascended Christ gave gifts to men. And these, me these, these gifts that they gave to the, he gave to the church were ministries, they were men. So they were apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And these were to equip the church to come to maturity, uh, if you like, to prepare herself for the coming of Jesus. So we would call these, these ministries, in many cases, translocal. Right? I said before, that's not a description of a pub crawl, all right? It's not, okay, but it's, it, it, what they mean, what we mean is that we want to take advantage of these ministries to, to come and, and help us. So when a new church is planted, there needs to be input from the apostle who is a foundation layer. And so that proper foundations are laid, not some that are to do with the, the tradition of the people who are involved. So that's very briefly, all right, what, uh, what's been happening over the last 50 years. And um, from the scriptures, um, John last week painted a glorious picture uh, of the, the Church of Christ, Christ's glorious church. And as I said, we need to just get into our heads. It's the goal of all history. No matter who they are, what nation, what people, what religion, all right, this is the goal of God's history. And all it means is that there will be those who will be invited to that, which is us, and other people who profess Christ, and there are those who are not invited, right? and because they have denied Christ. And um, so what, what should be our response here uh, at the beacon? Um, it may include those things I've already mentioned, but I, I would like to be more specific. On a personal level, it does mean in growing in grace and, uh, and love for the Lord Jesus. We can never stop growing in our love for Jesus. So when we see what he's done to secure us, to be part of the bride of Christ, then that should engender more and more love. But equally, we should have a love for the bride. See, if you look around, Jesus has chosen the people sitting around you to be part of the bride of Christ. Right? And Jesus... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And um, because Jesus gave everything in order for us to be the bride of Christ and loved us that much, then surely we should love one another. All right? We should try and have the love that Jesus has for his bride that, uh, and have that same love. Um, and um, this will affect our priorities regarding money, possessions pursuits and personal uh, situations uh, where we are seeking first the kingdom of God. But what about corporate? What do we are together? Well, we've said it before from the front here that what we are together speaks volumes to our community because it, there are communities around the world in this, in this country that they have factions and, and disagreements and all the rest of it. And what we are together speaks absolute volumes uh, as to uh, who we are in Christ and what God 
has done for us. And um, I want to say I'm excited about our church. I don't get excited about many things, Joe would tell you. It's, I say, it's okay, yeah, I'm, it's, I'm pleased. But, yeah. um, I don't get very down about things either, so that's, that's quite nice. But, and um, I would say um, that over the years uh, that this church has been served by people um, who love the Lord, uh, who have worshipped here, uh, have been faithful in prayer, uh, faithful in giving, and created an atmosphere uh, of, of love and acceptance and also acceptance and support of the leadership. So there's been a good foundation that's been laid here over the years. really has been, been great. And uh, I believe that this has enabled us in recent months, maybe years, to respond to God's leading and embrace the changes that have taken place. Um, just to mention a few, Steve becoming an elder, Steve becoming a lead elder, us moving to the school here. Okay. As far as I know, we were able to do that with one heart and mind. That, that doesn't mean that everybody was completely comfortable with what ev everything we did, but it didn't stop you giving yourself to it. And, and I, I think that's incredibly commendable, very commendable. And um, so... Uh, it's corporately uh, I am excited and I believe that we've gained a momentum alright there's, there's wind in our sails alright sense that you know that having made a move having made some changes and so on I believe that there's uh, wind in our sails and we are not just ticking over I remember I years ago I knew somebody who wasn't in the ministry at that time and he was quite a go-ahead guy with things that were happening locally and then he entered the Anglican ministry as it had happened and I met him sometime afterwards and uh, I, I gathered that he was in a small church, country church and I said to him, uh, how's your church going? He said, oh, just ticking over nicely. I thought, ticking over nicely? <laughs> we're not here to tick over nicely. <laughs> you know, we've got a world to take, really. And, uh, and to prepare ourselves uh, for Jesus' coming. So, not, taking over, not ticking over nicely, but having broken the mould to some extent, um, I think we know in our hearts that there's going to be more. Now, if that's a bit of a shock for some of you, but there is going to be more, <laughs> all right? And uh, yeah, maybe, maybe of those who are actually asking about it. What's the next step? What is God leading us to now? So I'd like some smiles, please. Let's see what the next... Thank you. Good. What the next step is. Right. Well, this won't be too much of a surprise, but I believe, and I think as elders we believe, that the next step is to um, support Steve full-time. Okay. Uh, we support him half-time. He works half-time with the ambulance service. Um, but our next step is to do that. Um, uh, although the ambulance service were very good uh, in allowing him to do half-time, his shifts during the week are very disruptive. Disruptive for his family, disruptive for the church. It means that Steve doesn't get some important meetings that take place during the week because he's on shift. And um, Steve has already made contact with people, important people in the, in the community, officials and so on, but he wants to develop that more and also give more time to training and discipling individuals. So there are many good reasons why um, 
it will be good for Steve to be full-time with the church. And uh, we'd like it to happen this year. However, um, financially, there is a huge mountain to climb. It doesn't look at all logical from our accounts. Our accounts are healthy, but they're not that healthy that we could immediately um, um, employ Steve full-time. So how do, we, how do we increase our income? Well, this is quite theoretical, but there may be various ways uh, to increase our income. Um, there may be those who, having seen um, God's purpose for the church, his, his glorious church, the bride, um, going to be joined to the bridegroom, think it's about time I gave seriously. Okay? It, 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 and that may be something where you are, that you feel now's the time to give consistently and seriously. Anything I say about money, of course, takes into account your personal circumstances. I'm not trying to ride roughshod over the fact that some of you might find money very tight at the moment. I understand that. But we're just looking at principles. And um, maybe it's some that would want to increase their giving or consolidate their giving, which is spread across a number of charities at the moment. There's, not, there's no shortage of charities that want money. I don't know about you, but getting letters through the door and you think, oh, they're a good charity. And yes, they're a good charity, but you can't support them all. And I think um, you know, we, uh, we need to consider that the church is, is God's primary means of evangelizing the world. It is the primary means. And in some cases, parachurch organizations only exists because the church is not doing it. That's, that's not universally true. And I'm involved with a couple of parachurch organisations, the schools work and CMI Asia. You know. But nevertheless, uh, in the New Testament, um, the people on the day of Pentecost and soon after, they brought the money to the apostles' feet who then distributed it. So I think there's a principle there, but it, it's not for me to tell you what to do. <laughs> I'm just saying this is a possible uh, way to look at it. And also, in Malachi, it says, you know, bring all your tithe uh, into the storehouse. So, my closing appeal to you today is not to give or to give more. Now, so you can put your wallets away. I know that some were grabbing for your purses and, and wallets. Okay, you can, you can put those away for the time being, all right? Um, because what I'm going to s- suggest to you is more scary than kind of just a knee-jerk reaction and get a few more coins out or notes out, right? And the call today is to pray. That can be scary, okay? I'll I'll explain why. Um, You remember uh, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus was out with his disciples and he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them uh, because they were harassed uh, and lost and they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he had compassion on them. And he turned to his disciples and he said, the harvest is plentiful. In other words, there are people out there that will be saved if we can only reach them. But he didn't say to them, okay guys, I'm going to release you for a bit. You go out and do it. Now he did that later. But at this point, he said, pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest that he may send more laborers 
into his harvest field. So Jesus saw that more productive than the disciples rushing off and, d and doing something. Um, so um, I'm suggesting that at this point we need to pray. So why pray? Well, God may send us more passionate givers, people who join the church, all right, who are loaded, absolutely loaded, and are passionate givers. Who knows, really? <laughs> but I don't say that seriously. We're out for the lost. <laughs> we want people to be saved, and whether they've got much or, or little, then we'd love to have them here. But, but God may send us people who are passionate givers. Um, but he may win more of our hearts through the vision of his glorious church. You know, uh, it's good to think sometimes, how much does God have of my heart? Right. And God uh, can change our hearts to be more in tune with his purpose. And that's often through prayer. Prayer, yes, we will ask God uh, how we should raise the money, how this money might come in. Maybe it's for more people. But God will change our hearts through prayer. And that's why it's scary. Because what you might think is impossible now suddenly becomes possible. I've given the illustration before, but I'll repeat it because it relates. It's ten years ago now that Graham Hall spoke to Joe and I at uh, prayer and fasting and, uh, and said... Um, uh, would you like to consider uh, going to the Beacon Church and being part of the leadership? Uh, it was a bit of a shock, um, and it didn't appeal to us much at the time, not because we didn't love the guys here, and we knew many of you, but because we were very happy where we were, and the inference was that I would lead the team. And I had no aspirations to be a lead elder at all. I was very happy just serving along with, with others at the time. But he said, please pray about it and also come and preach a couple of sermons uh, at the Beacon. So we prayed. And I, at first I thought God was going to show us a scripture that made it very clear where we should go. And I would say, okay, God, if that's what you want, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> you know. But as time went on, as we prayed, and as we met the people, right. God changed our hearts. And when it came to the summer, when we had to make a decision, that is the thing we most wanted to do, you know. And it's surprising what, if we pray what God will do with our hearts. But it's scary. It can be scary, right? Because you're thinking, there's no way I could give more money or there's no way this. Pray and see what God does. Pray and see what he does. God wants cheerful givers, not legalistic or reluctant ones. If God has our hearts, he can ask anything of us. Isn't that true? If God truly has our hearts, there isn't anything he can't ask us you know, to do. So practically, until we see the fulfilment of, uh, that is, seeing the way how we're going to support Steve uh, full-time, we're going to make prayer for this a priority in church life. So it will be at prayer and vision next Sunday. It'll be in our home groups, uh, cell groups. It will be some Saturday morning prayer meeting. We're going to pray, but we ask you to pray as well. Just keep on praying uh, about this. Okay. 
And uh, so all our church things will, will, will include that. Um, we need a miracle, and God may use us to be part of it. Okay? If you think about the day of Pentecost, when um, people from all sorts of provinces around Jerusalem, many of them became part of the church, a new community, God touched their hearts, and they readily gave spare cash. Okay? And they were a one heart and mind. It was amazing. You know, what the Holy Spirit did amongst these people. So, you know, God may use us to be part of the answer. We will let you know when it's time to give. Okay, all right, we'll let you know that. In the meantime, we're going to pray until we are of one heart and mind so that when the call comes, it will be just a release of what God has already put on your hearts. Okay, so it won't be painful because... You will already be on the front foot, I believe. Okay. <laughs> okay, so the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ now. And it's Jesus thought his bride was worth dying for, to make every sacrifice for. Do we think the bride is, is worth making sacrifices in order that we may prepare ourselves uh, for his coming and receiving us to himself? and to celebrate that wonderful consummation of the ages, the wedding supper of the Lamb. We're going to sing a song just to close, and then I'll come forward again and, and uh, close in prayer. Jesus is exalted to the highest place. <laughs>